This is the Amner Martinez Podcast. Welcome to the Amner Martinez Podcast. My name is Amner Martinez, and I will be your host. I am an immigrant from the country of Guatemala, and I've been living in Iowa since 1995. My professional background is in the staffing and recruiting industry, and I have been heavily involved in the local entertainment scene for the last 12 years. In this podcast, I will be sharing conversations with local people in entertainment, business, sports, nonprofits, food, arts, and culture. So stick around for some great conversations. Life. All right. So episode 22, we spoke with Dr. Salisa Flores. She's actually out of California. She's in Huntington Beach, California. She's a therapist. And I got interested and intrigued about speaking with her for many reasons. But I met her during the summer. She has a son here that goes to Iowa State. Anyway, so I met her here uh, briefly. And then, um, you know, we started following each other on Facebook. And then I realized that she was interested in neuroscience. And um, so she's a certified yoga instructor and mindfulness, um, wellness. She treats a lot of different things that she talks about on the podcast. But um, another thing that she does that I thought was very interesting is that uh, she's part of a group called Psychedelia, which what they do is um, psychedelic integration. So a lot of her peers, so she belongs to this group of other professionals, other doctors and therapists that do these um, research. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So ayahuasca. (laughs) Right. So that's the perception. Okay. But they're doing. For research. Research Mm -hmm. and they're trying to make it, trying to destigmatize. Destigmatize. The use uh, of the, LSD. the use of it. So I, don't, I don't think it's just it, there's like all hallucinogenic. There's a there's a there's a different types of hallucinogenic. So, okay. um, mushrooms are one of them. Ayahuasca, I think they're called. Which, as I was doing the research, <laughs> okay. So um, it took you it took you some research <laughs> to be able to. No, touch I, the I, on Vice TV, I ran into this guy that goes to Oaxaca. And I guess in Oaxaca, this small town in Oaxaca, they they are known for having like magic mushrooms, and they drink them like tea. And um, in this video, this older guy, you know, is talking about how he's been doing it since he was a kid, four years old. Like, oh yeah, my four-year-olds do it. My eighteen, my fourteen-year-old. So it's part of their culture mm-hmm. to basically take some trips. Trip, yeah. Yeah. So that's why um, I thought it was interesting. But we talked about um. She even gave us some exercise or gave me some breathing exercises. Mm -hmm. Breaks it down why when we're stressed, why we're stressed, like the biology of it. Like fight or flight. Have you ever heard about that? I have. Okay. So she talks about that. Um, So it's continuing with that whole, you know, um, rediscovery of ourselves. So continuing in that same tone that with the uh, other um, good vibes yoga. I think it's important for people, especially right now, like, look, Iran just bombed. You know, that's just scary. I mean, right. if you look, you're like, and we're not even in, in Iraq, you know, imagine mm. for the Iraqis or anybody in the Middle East uh-huh. or anybody that's from uh, Iran. Well, I mean, we're, um, we're overworked people. Uh, a lot of us work a lot. And uh, we have uh, increased, you know, levels of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I I, th- I don't think I've ever in my life ever thought that I would be like a person that's like, oh, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think the first thing I w- like that would come to mind is like, oh, you pussy. You know, that's the first yeah. thing that comes yeah. to mind, you know, like, oh, whatever, you fucking pussy. And um mm-hmm. uh, but lately, you know, like, I just know, like, man, wow. 
it was a long conversation, but there's um some tips that she gives out, like how to relieve stress while, you know, we think that meditation, we have to have 30, 45 minutes. Like, it can be two, three minutes, five minutes. Um, she talks about some research that uh, or studies and stuff like that. So, basically, shifting, like, we're, ca- we're still capable of shifting our brain, you know, rewire our brain or create new neuropaths to cope um cope and then like um change some perceptions that we think okay so we think like oh this is who i am this is what i was raised and this is how i think you know mm-hmm. and uh research exactly. shows exactly like i was raised to think you're a pussy you know <laughs> <laughs> i was raised to think that amner's a pussy <laughs> No, I like it. Okay, so kidding. But yeah, like uh, I was first to think like no, you know, like you don't you don't get that, you mm-hmm. know. But it's it's really true, man. Like I I see myself at work and like man, I just want to take another break. Yeah. Oh, my break's over, man. Well, this one might work for you then because she says that we can do a sitting down driving um this exercise that you can breathe and you're actually when you're breathing this this I forgot the name, but she mentions it on the podcast that you're actually releasing like this toxins that are hold up in your in your lungs. That's why you feel sick whenever you breathe it out. Anyway, she explains the whole thing, man. It's pretty cool. It's pretty radical. Nice. So I thought it'd be very interesting. It was over the phone, so as long as people can bear through the you know unusual audio. It should be a pretty interesting conversation. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I look forward to it. Yeah. So episode 22, Dr. Salisa Flores. Hello. Hi, how are you? Hello. Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Where do you originate from? Where, where are you right now? Uh, I live in Southern California now. I have lived in California all my life. I'm from Central California. Uh, this is kind of where I've been and several generations of my family have been from central California. So, um, we're pretty Californian (laughs) (laughs) as Californian as it gets as Californian as it gets. Um, some of the generations in my family, I think actually were here before California was part of the United States. Really? So, um, yeah. So, so, so we've just been here. We're like the most native Californians nice. <laughs> I can imagine. So you're Dr. Salisa Flores. Yes. And you specialize in psychology? In psychology, in mindfulness, um, yoga, and eating disorders. A really wide range of yeah. things. You do have uh, quite a range of services that you do. Yeah, I do. So I've, in addition to my training as a psychologist, I practiced yoga and meditation since I was kind of a little kid. And, um, and that kind of, I think, led me into the world of um, taking a more holistic approach and kind of seeing, seeing ourselves as a whole person that has all of these facets. You you say here that you have like ancient practices. I was really curious about about that part of your approach. Can you elaborate yeah. a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. So yoga and meditation are thousands and thousands of years old. Um, even though the mindfulness revolution kind of happened in the last ten or twenty years, really these are practices that have been around for thousands of years. The most uh, common commonly researched meditation practice is a loving kindness practice. It's the kind that when they do the studies with fMRIs, um, when they do all these brain studies on meditation, they use this meditation. And the meditation is 2,500 years old and it's been passed down from for generations. And I think that the people who originated this meditation or started passing down this meditation knew that it worked. They didn't need science and technology to prove to them how it worked or that it was making a difference. They knew that it was making a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's kind of the connection to these ancient practices 
um, that we're sort of catching up with in science. We're just catching up with the reality as they've been there all along. In the West and in more industrialized countries, we're sort of picking this up. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't been there, you know, 5,000 years. With these stressful times, you know, of our lives, our jobs, careers, parenting, you know, the political environment or climate, um, how are you approaching this uh, yourself and what are you telling the people that you work with or what advice could you give? Right. So for so for me personally, I mean, I, I think that in Iowa, you guys get um, even more inundated with... Um, politics than we do in California because in California there's kind of a general consensus we sort of know which way things are going to go uh, right. in California yeah. I think in Iowa a lot of things get decided there and yeah. um, and so you guys I think are much more a focus for politicians and, and sort of all of that but um, over really over the last four years um, I've seen lots of clients who come in and are just so overwhelmed with politics and what's being broadcast on the news and sort of all of the stories that they hear. And um, I'm, I, like I said, I'm in California, so I get to keep myself a little bit insulated and I don't watch the news and I don't spend a lot of time invested on um, kind of what what's unfolding in, in the political world mm-hmm. uh, because it's outside of my circle of influence. And I decided that quite some time ago that if I can't do anything about the things that are happening that seem so far outside of me, then I'm just going to frustrate myself and feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the things that I do have control over are the people I surround myself with, the way that I take care of myself, the way that I help to support my own community that I do have access to. Um, and, and I think that, for me, that's been the place that I try to start and focus most of my energy and my effort. Now, I was listening to the podcast that you did um, with uh, other therapists, but you said something sure. about, f- about a state of mind that we have that's called flight or fight. Yes. Is that what it's called? Yes. Can you can you um, explain that? Like, what is that state of mind, or what is that? Sure. So, yeah, absolutely. So our um, our bodies are are really like a product of evolution, and we have all these really intricate systems that we don't have to think about all the time. One of them that ha- is the reason that we're all here is the fight or flight system, and now they've kind of expanded it to also include freeze. So it's fight, fight, flight system. Um, okay. But <clears throat> what happens is that our when our, we're exposed to something that is considered a threat, right? Like our ancestors anthropologically decided something was a threat, whether it was something on the ground that was like it could be a snake, whether it was an animal that was like it could be dangerous, their bodies just immediately go into action. So their bodies determine, do they need to fight? Do they, flight means like run away. This is not something that they can, they're going to win this battle, so they just need to leave. Okay. Or um, the other a part of the system is freeze. So sometimes like if you're being attacked by certain animals, the best thing you can do is to play dead. Right. So our bodies automatically understand that that's where we need to focus our energy and our bodies do their best to protect them. Um, that's sort of this... Our bodies are always working at survival. So when we, when we are feeling threatened, whether it's real or perceived, our body goes into fight, flight, freeze, trying to protect us, trying to make sure that it survives. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we've kind of evolved and we have these brains that have evolved so beautifully over time, now it's not just things that are actual threats. Like our ancestors maybe really did need to run away if there was a snake or, they, or a tiger or something that they needed to run away or fight. Our brains are so evolved that we now also include things like a text message or a deadline or a paper that's due. Um. And these are perceived by our body as stressors, a.k.a. a threat, so our body goes into fight, flight, freeze system 
as a result of the things that are not life or death situations at all. And therefore... But our body doesn't know that. And that's where we enter into a stress state, a state of, a state of stress. Right. So during this fight, flight, freeze state, our body can't do the other branch of that, which is rest and digest. So in order for our bodies to be able to absorb and break down food, get appropriate sleep, um, restore, clean out old cells that need to be um, eliminated, those kinds of things, we can't be in both systems at the same time. Right, like we can't be doing those. Those are two separate operating systems, and our body has to pick one or the other of where to put its energy. Uh-huh. But because we're in such, so many of us live in this high-stress environment where we're constantly inundated with updates on the news, deadlines from work, demands on our ki- from our kids, and kind of their school things, and all these places that we're needed and expected to be. Um, our body is constantly in that fight, flight, freeze state. For so many of us, even when we eat, we're in a rush, right? We're saying, okay, well, I have 10 minutes to eat this, and then we got to go to the next thing, and we got to go to the next thing. And even then, we're on our phones, or we're um, sending emails, or trying to get texts done, or different things that we're trying to do while we're eating, which is reinforcing to our body and our brain that we're in a state of stress, and we don't have the time to rest and digest. So then, our, you know, maybe we ate, but we didn't get half the nutrients from that food because our body didn't take the time to absorb them. So we can only be in one state at a time. Right, right. Fight and there is a neutral sort of homeostatic state that we can be in, right? There's, there's three, but our autonomic nervous system has these two ways that it's trying to find the balance between. It's either fight or flight where we're, when we're in a state of stress and that's true to, you know, help us survive and continue to thrive uh-huh. and then the rest and digest state is is for our body to recover and repair and that's what it does when we're resting and we're digesting food oh more meditating yeah there's a lot that our body we don't under we kind of ignore that oh we're not doing anything we're sleeping we actually use <clears throat> a really significant amount of our calories while we're sleeping because our body is working so hard to repair, regenerate cells, to eliminate cells that our body is no longer using. All that has to happen in a state of sleep. So for those of us who have struggled with sleeping regularly or uh, don't get enough hours of sleep on a regular basis, our body doesn't get to complete the processes that it needs to to feel rejuvenated the next day. Oh, that's why people recommend for you to sleep well. Like there's a big movement right. on sleeping well. Right. Absolutely. Um, and not all of our lives are set up to accommodate that, unfortunately, right? Like right. The, for a lot of us, when we're stressed, that's kind of the first thing we start to struggle with is sleep. Yes. Yeah, sleeping. Um, I mean, right now, I did a month of no drinking last year and my sleeping mm-hmm. was like amazing. I'm assuming because alcohol was, <laughs> I guess. I'll... Alcohol actually interrupts our sleep. So a lot of people think, oh, they sleep really great when they have, they've been, they've had a few drinks. Um, and you might fall asleep right away, but it's interrupted sleep. And so our body doesn't get to complete the sleep cycle that it needs in order to do the repair. And then you feel terrible in the morning. You know, like if you're hungover, you feel kind of sluggish, your energy isn't where you would normally expect it to be. Um, so I think that's, I do, I've, I've heard a couple of people that take that on at least once a year, once a month, one month a year or something like that. Um, and I think it's a really good way to kind of give your body the opportunity to heal and recover from that and kind of see what effect alcohol might have on your body, right? Like anytime you eliminate something from, from your, the way that you do things, you kind of see, well, how do things change? And for you, right away, the first thing you notice was sleep, which is pretty um, pretty fantastic and also kind of a reminder that if your sleep is starting to be disruptive or you're waking up and not feeling 
refreshed, maybe then it's time to go on another break from alcohol. And you also you also um, give some uh, exercises or like um, breathing exercises that you can kind of do at kind of any time, almost like. Yeah. Can you tell? Can you talk a little bit about that? So one of the things that I really like to teach people is um, is about breathing. Uh, one of the branches of yoga is just breath practice and breath work. So. Oftentimes, you know, our normal breathing, babies breathe very naturally the way that our bodies are meant to breathe. But over time, when we're rushed, we actually learn to breathe in a lot shallower way. We don't get a full breath, mm-hmm. um, which oftentimes can leave us feeling, it, it starts, it actually triggers that fight or flight system because our bodies are thinking, our bodies are always interpreting what we're doing. So if our body goes, oh, you don't even have time to take a full breath. There must be something that you're scared of or that you need to run away from. So it sort of triggers that cycle of the fight or flight. Um, So one way that we can remind ourselves to take nice deep breaths is called diaphragmatic breathing. And uh, it's really, really simple. um, But I do always encourage people before they start to take any diaphragmatic breaths to put both their feet flat on the floor. And the reason is that toxins store at the base of our lungs. And if we're not breathing fully, those toxins just kind of accumulate there. And when we do take a full deep breath, they all get released into our system at once, as opposed to just a little bit at a time if we're breathing in a natural way all the time. So sometimes people feel a little bit lightheaded or dizzy when they start to take deep breaths and they think, oh, this is deep breathing makes me dizzy. But really, this is your body's first opportunity to kind of release toxins and things that it's been accumulating so this is like you're not just saying take a big breath relax you're like there's actual toxins like molecules or (laughs) that are in your lungs that you need to release right absolutely so it's not just there there is a reason that it's calming and relaxing right like because our our lungs are actually filters they help to filter out the things that we inhale in before they get circulated through our blood. So there's all these systems in our body that are always trying to protect us. But we need to make sure we're taking care of those systems as well. I see. So in order for us to take a diaphragmatic breath, the thing that we will notice is when you take a deep breath in, you want to take it in so that your stomach actually goes out. For a lot of us, we just breathe into the top part of our lungs, which means you just notice movement in your rib cage or in your shoulders even. Um, and that's, that tends to be much shallower breath. So when you take a deep inhale in, and it can be through your nose or through your mouth, take a deep inhale in until your abdomen, you actually notice it go out. And then as you exhale, your belly should be contracting. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> doing it right now. So inhaling, expanding belly, exhaling, contracting. I see. And I have people do two or three breaths. Sometimes if you really want to encourage your body to release a little bit more, sometimes as you inhale, shrug your shoulders up towards your ears. And as you exhale, let them drop down away from your ears. And just kind of encouraging your body to get a little bit of movement. Oftentimes when we're stressed, we don't even notice that our shoulders have kind of crept up towards our ears. Mm-hmm. Just the way a pattern that some people hold tension. Yeah. But allowing them, reminding ourselves to kind of drop that down reminds us to kind of give our body space, take a full breath, counteract that fight or flight system to tell us that we're not in a state of stress or chaos. We don't have to be in fear. We're able to take a deep breath in and relax. Um, so... I love to have people do this at the start of trainings if we're gonna if I'm doing a training, but also I try to remind myself when I'm driving, before I'm gonna eat, things like that. Before I'm gonna have get to sit down with my family and have a conversation, I just try and take a couple deep breaths so that I can get myself into a state of calm, um, so that I'm not trying to rush all the people around me <laughs> or my body. Right. <laughs> and why why is it so important for your feet to be? on the ground what yeah part of the reason just because sometimes people get dizzy when they're taking these deep breaths just because their body is expelling all these toxins at once 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it, having your feet on the ground can help you to just have a sort of um, sense of balance. So if you're sitting in a chair, to just put your feet on the floor helps you your body to have a sense of equilibrium and so you're not feeling totally dizzy. Because sometimes when people, I ask them, take a deep breath, they close their eyes, which is fine, but that throws off your balance a little bit more. So just another way for your body to kind of have a reminder of you're right here, your feet are on the ground, everything's okay, and it helps your body get into that state uh, of relax, relaxation and, and resting. And it does work. Um, after I heard your podcast, I think it was like in September, I heard those yes. tips that, and, and I did it while I was driving in it. There's a bit of a, um, yeah, you go into a, you feel different almost immediately. Almost immediately. So it only really takes three breaths and um, to, to be able to kind of help your body come into that state of, of relaxation. And I like to present this to people because meditation, the idea of meditation, lots of people think you have to spend at least an hour and you have to be sitting in lotus position and you have to be on pillows and I love that idea, but unfortunately, most of us don't have time to do that on a daily basis. But if you can just take three breaths, and and that's enough to empower you to have a sense of of restoration over your own body, then that's that's a good start. And I've been seeing that a lot, and I'm sure we all do in social media, that, um, you know, like Deepak Chopra and, you know, a bunch of people like... um, Mm -hmm. Ariana Huffington, they're like, it doesn't have to be 45 minutes, half an hour. It can be a minute, two minutes. Right. Five minutes. Right. And that's the misconception maybe or? The- right. I do think, I mean, I think that there has been kind of historically a perception that, and, and there are people that meditate all day, right? Like there are people and that's, that's all they do is they meditate all day long. And that's fantastic. And I'm happy that they have, the opportunity to do that. Um, some of those scientific studies that I, I mentioned earlier um, show that you actually can change the structure and function of your brain in eight weeks of meditation, and it's only 20 minutes a day. But that doesn't have to be 20 minutes altogether. So if you have five minutes a few times throughout the day, then just take five minutes to mm-hmm. slow down to come to quiet your breathing, um, and all of that is actually changes your brain, which I think is pretty pretty amazing. Right, yeah. So you're you're um, creating new neuro super highways, neuro pathways, <laughs> neuro yeah, pathways. neuro pathways, neuro pathways. So as you're yeah, meditating, so our... tell me about that study a little bit more. Yeah, so there's actually, there's several studies, and um, a lot of them, they use what's called an fMRI. It's a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine. It's basically taking moving pictures of your brain. So they're able to kind of see what your brain looks like um, in real time and and see um, how your brain responds to different stimulus. So they take pictures of people's brains before, before meditating, and they have the people's meditate for 20 minutes a day for eight weeks um, and they use what's called the loving kindness meditation and it's a very simple meditation um, that's been passed around passed down for 2500 years and at the end of eight weeks they take new pictures of the people's brains and see that their brains have actually changed um, the the protective layer is thickened um, and also the brain is what's called gyrificated. It's increasing gyrification. So what that means, our brains only can, they can only be so large because they're limited by the size of our skull. So mm-hmm. instead of growing bigger, our brain grows more fold because that's how it is able to store more information. That's the only way that our brain can grow really um, much at all because our our skull just limits how big our brain can get. So our brains are much more folded um, Uh than our ancestors and than other mammals. Um, And so that allows us to hold and access more information. So if you're a person that is stressed out and uh, a little bit 
pessimistic. This would be something where in eight weeks they could literally change some kind of ways that they're thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things, it's, it can be very helpful um, in the frontal cortex of our brain, the prefrontal cortex of our brain, which is the front part kind of right behind your forehead. Um, uh-huh. And that's the part of our brain that controls decision-making, planning, impulse control, all the things that for a lot of us who struggle with, you know, I wish I didn't have this habit or I wish I didn't have that habit, that's actually the part of our brain that is so important in deciding those things, right? Like if we just fall into our old habits, it's usually because that impulse part of our brain is not working the way that we'd like it to. So meditation can help us to have more control over that part of our brain and it trains our brain um, that it doesn't have to react to every idea it gets, right? So oftentimes meditation, it's not that you're, thoughts are going to stop when you meditate or we're still going to have our thoughts. That's part of the mm-hmm. human condition, mm-hmm. but training our brain that it's okay. Like, yeah, I have that thought. Okay. And I'm going to go back to focusing on my breath or I'm going to go back to whatever it is. Maybe I have a mantra or maybe I have, um, I'm practicing a, a guided meditation or something like that to just bring, keep bringing yourself back, your attention back to whatever it is that you've chosen to focus your attention on. So another thing that I was really curious about that you do is psychedelic integration. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that or? Yeah, yeah, no, we can talk about that. So, so I was kind of doing a little bit of homework. Out, um, so, tell me, to, I guess, tell me what psychedelia psychedelic integration is. Sure. So, um. Especially, like, it's becoming very common in California for people to have psychedelic experiences through a really large variety of ways. Um, Some people are going out of the country and doing ayahuasca journeys or mushroom journeys or whatever the case may be. Other people are doing things locally. Um, And this is, I think a lot of this has started... Um, to become very popularized after the book um, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. It really kind of changed the discussion around psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been work around psychedelics for much, much longer than that, but it's so much more popularized now. So lots of people are having these experiences, and then they come back and they have all of this insight and information, and they don't necessarily have anywhere to discuss it because their friends and family might say, well, that all sounds really crazy. This isn't who you are. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with you. Um, and, and then they feel, these people feel very isolated and still at a loss of what to do with all this information or yeah. insight or awareness that they had or very negative experience that they had as a result of their psychedelic journeys. Um, So I was invited to lead a community group that um, is an open forum space for people to talk about these psychedelic experiences and how to make sense of the lessons and insights that they gain from them and also to be able to ask questions and just kind of find out more about what to expect or how to prepare for this kind of of work. So it's not like... um like you know in high school or in college where you're like i dropped some acid man and like i had a good trip or a bad trip this is these are like professionals that are breaking it down almost to a science almost right right so and that's a lot of people that have entered into this realm have said well i had this experience in high school i had this experience in college and now I'm ready to, to experience it again in a new way. Right. Um, so lots of there's lots of research over the last, I mean, it's, it's just coming to a place where research is legal and we're actually able to do even research. For a long time, oh, there was a ban against even research around psychedelics. Um, but psychedelics have shown a lot of promise in terms of 
um, relieving depression, relieving post-traumatic stress. Um, there's research right now around eating disorder treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's sort of there's research in a lot of realms um, with the use of psychedelics, as well as just personal growth and development. So that was it was also kind of popularized in Silicon Valley. Um, in the technology bubble that people were microdosing psychedelics to enhance their creativity and focus. And, um, ah. and that kind of continued to grow. Because the micro, maybe I read a, a wrong art article, but is microdosing like almost on the verge of being legal or is it, is it legal? So, um, microdosing, most psychedelics are not legal in this country. Um, there are some that you could access that don't have the psychedelic properties, like you could buy tinctures of ayahuasca that don't have psychedelic properties, so it's just the root, and people can microdose that. Um, but for the most part, psychedelics, even in, in microdose levels, are not legal in this country. Um, so... People are accessing them kind of through the black market. Sure. And there are a few studies recently of like where people are my, um, studying microdosing. And so, um, so I was, I was listening to one of the videos that um, is on that, uh, is it Psychedelia? Is that the, the group mm -hmm. called? And um, yes. it was a very interesting video of this gentleman that he talked about, um, Uh, setting how setting you know back in high school or in college you know if you take a hit of acid uh, you're gonna you know the, the the environment influences um you know how your journey or your trip is gonna be um yes can you take talk a little bit about this that part of of the um research I yeah guess? absolutely Yeah, um, so historically the research has focused on two, two primary um, sort of ways of preparing for a journey. In order to make it therapeutic, um, they focus on, number one, what they call the set, and that means mindset, and the second is setting, so just the environment. Um, Research typically, you know, they, they have, they do have an intention when they are setting up the research. It's either, um, a lot of it recently has been to help people with trauma, to help people with anxiety, to help people with depression, but they have a clear intention going into it, that this is their mindset. So that's setting what's called the mindset. Okay. Mindset. And then the setting is the other part of having an environment that feels supportive of therapeutic growth. Um, so for a lot of the studies, they have the person who is taking the substance, and they might have, they usually have two people, typically a male and female, that are their guide, that are there to um, reassure them that everything's okay, because lots of these are taking place in hospitals, so they're, they're monitoring things like heart rate and just keeping track of those things, so reassuring the people that this is, This is, they're okay, okay. Um, and also kind of just to help them to feel safe and secure in this space, to take notes of anything that comes up, to kind of monitor, and, and sometimes people in, do, experiencing, do experiencing things that are difficult, overwhelming, um, very uncomfortable physically or emotionally, and so having another person there uh, can, can be helpful. I see. And those are all part of what's called setting, right? Because in high school, you were maybe with some friends, and they were all also on the same substance for the most part. Right. So there wasn't somebody there to say, everything's okay, yeah. don't worry. Um, because they're all ha everyone, if everyone in the group is having their own experience, it's really hard to, to be supportive to someone else. I see. So, th so it's... it's um... It's been done in the most responsible way. You you would is that a word that you would say? Uh, yeah, I I do. I think yes. Um, a lot of the uh, studies are are doing their best to really be, like you said, responsible. 
um, they're doing a lot of screenings and, and telling people that have a history of psychosis or a family history of psychosis or medical, they're medically compromised that this might not be, um, the best choice for them. Uh-huh. Okay. And, um, and so that is one of the ways that in the psychedelic community, um, they're trying to protect people from negative outcomes, right? Like yeah. the best thing is do this in a setting that feels safe. Consider your, your personal um, medical history and also your family's medical and psychiatric history and take those into consideration before you go down this road. Because some people, I mean, I mean the preparation can even, they almost advise to like some people prepare a week or two a week's, prior to this, right? Yeah. So usually in most of the studies, what's happening is they have <clears throat> several sessions. It could be four to six therapy or um, consultation sessions before taking any substance so that they're able to kind of explore their own history and be prepared for this and really, you know, have the resources so that they can navigate this afterwards. Um, And then afterwards, an additional, after their experience, to have another four to six sessions or consultations to make sense of these lessons. Um, but for a lot of the people that are going out of the country to have these um, experiences, there's not that container where they're able to, you know, they're gone for two weeks and then they're not able to come back and have a continued set of sessions or a community mm -hmm. to be able to discuss what came up for them. What has the um, research, uh, what are the findings right now? Who does it work for mostly? So uh, the, there's, yeah, there's some really interesting findings. There's a lot that has, and again, we're kind of on the edge of just starting research again because so much of it had been banned for so long. Right. Um, so, So um, psilocybin or magic mushrooms has just gotten um, FDA breakthrough approval um, for use for trauma, for uh, specifically for post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and that's it's pretty powerful. And uh, depression. So there's research, and they're trying to get this passed through the FDA. Um, the organization that's doing that is called MAPS. It's the multi- disciplinary, multidisciplinary association for psychedelic science. So there's a collective of people who are funding and it's private funding, um, mm -hmm. research around MDMA for the use of, um, in, for the use of, of this substance for PTSD and for depression. Um, and so there's a lot of progress that's being made more recently. Ketamine was approved by the FDA Um, so that's also being used by the FDA for um, PTSD or for depression as well as for uh, suicidal thoughts. Oh, wow. um, the Veterans Administration is actually using nasal sprays of, of esketamine, which is a version of ketamine, uh, to offset depression or to offset suicidality, um, and that's showing pretty significant promise. Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of research that's kind of shown that this is working, uh, but there's still definitely a lot of stigma and, yeah. uh, there's not necessarily a lot of funding. I think Andrew Yang uh, said something about, um, about, um, mush, is it mushrooms? Yeah. To be legal. Yes. So it's uh, already, it's starting to get yeah. a little bit, attention. It is. There are, there's um, a lot of uh, political action committees in different cities that are working to either decriminalize or legalize different psychedelic medicines. Um, Oakland, Denver, and Chicago are cities that have decriminalized uh, the use of psilocybin. Oakland has decriminalized all plant medicines. Um, oh. And the state of New Mexico has decriminalized psilocybin, but that was quite some years ago. Um, So it is getting onto people's radar within the political system. There's definitely lots of cities and organizations um, that are trying to get this more accessible. Uh, there, and there's reasons that they're choosing decriminalization versus legalization. 
Um, here in California, with the cannabis industry, legalization actually made it less accessible for some people because it increased the cost significantly. Oh. Um, so those are just things that people, I think, within the community are kind of seeing what happened as a result of legalization versus decriminalization. How did you get into, um, I mean, you've been on your own journey as far as like you started um, your education um, and have you just kind of been discovering new, anything neuroscience you kind of jump on? I guess I'm just curious of like how your journey. um... Yeah. So, um, so my undergrad studies was biology and then I, um, I got a master's and a doctorate in psychology. And I, to me, there, there's such overlap, you know, understanding the biology and human body systems and also understanding behavior. It was such a beautiful um, marriage between those two worlds for me that I, I was always fascinated with, well, what can we find out about at a much smaller level, right? Because we can see the behavior and it's not human behavior is not predictable and it's you know it's not always as we might expect it to be and there's no good theory that completely explains that um but i do think it's fascinating to see what happens on a on a, a neurological level mm-hmm. when when things are happening in our bodies right like if we're stressed these hormones are being flooded throughout our body systems and that's pretty that's consistent so we can at least predict that yeah and and if we can predict that then maybe we can figure out how to how to help navigate around these things so our body's always communicating with itself our brain yeah 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 in a lot of ways our body is is you know our bodies really are very much created around survival and I think we miss that a lot when we see, um, you know, I don't know why I keep doing this thing that I don't like doing, or I I tell myself I'm going to quit smoking every day, or I tell myself, you know, all these different things. And um, the reality is that our brain is doing its best to conserve resources. So when our brain creates a neural pathway of a habit, it just keeps making that same choice because it's safe, it would be metabolically taxing to make a new choice, which means, like, I could, your brain, like, sort of narrative is that it could do something different, but that might cost it six calories, so it doesn't want to do something different. So your okay. brain just keeps making the same choice over and over, okay. um, which, is, which is challenging, right? When right. We're, we're trying to use our will to just do something different, it doesn't uh-huh. always work, because our brain's system is sort of set up to be much more conservative than that and yoga meditation breathing and some some of this uh uh findings is finding is that there's more of a mechanical approach to it or more of an exercise approach to it where you can create new neural pathways right right so you know our brains are still pliable or plastic. So there's what's called neuroplasticity, meaning our brains are still flexible and our brains still have the opportunity to change and grow, but we have to make it very intentional. Um, Like, you know, if somebody wanted to build muscle or rebuild muscle after an injury, they might have to do, put more effort into exercising that muscle to kind of help it regrow. In the same way that our brain has access to making new choices, but we have to continue to, um, to strengthen those, those new neural pathways. So training your attention through meditation or through yoga it can, is, is a way to train our brains to do what we want it to do. Right. There's like a saying where um, people are like, if you do something for 19 days or 20 days, I've heard different numbers, 21 days. Then mm-hmm. it, you mm-hmm. can create a habit. Is that like a short version or the lamest terms saying saying it that? Yeah, you... I think a lot of. Yeah, I think a lot of it. I mean, you could probably just pick any amount of days, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the reality is, it, it, it is saying that our you know our brains still have the flexibility to make new choices. You just have to continue to. 
provide it that opportunity to keep making that choice over and over so that it does form a new pathway. So don't think that the way that you think it's like, oh, this is who I am and da 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 like you can still right. mold your brain to be, uh, to think or leave some of those old habits or, or bad thoughts or um, behind by um, creating this new... Putting in the uh, work. Putting them to work, yeah. Because a lot of us say that, right? right. Well, this is how I am and this is how I was raised and, um, you know, so... I absolutely, you know, I mean, that's such a common way to dismiss, well, I just don't, I just don't apologize, or I just don't, you know, that's how I've always felt about this situation. But sometimes the way that we feel about a situation or the way that we do things is actually, you know, maybe that's a result of our trauma. Maybe that's a result of our survival system, Mm -hmm. and it's not serving us anymore. Yeah. So if we're, we're doing things, within a system that we're used to doing it and not looking at, you know, maybe I would feel better if I didn't push people away from me, or maybe I would be, feel better if I could just talk about my feelings a little bit more instead of just saying, Oh, I never talk about my feelings and that's just the way I am. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you can be, and you can try it out. And that's the thing, you know, our brain is plastic. We can always choose to do something. And if we don't like the way that that's working out, we can do it different. Right. But we'll never know if we just dismiss, potential by by saying well i've always done it this way so it's it's important to look at our brain as if it's still under construction almost yes so one of the things i think is so interesting when i was a kid we were um we had what was called the dare dare program so we were told that once you destroy brain cells they never you never can get new brain cells which i in retrospect, I feel like that's kind of disempowering because if you are like, well, I already ruined my brain, I may as well keep going. Yes. As opposed to saying, no, it, you know, it wasn't until like 1998 that we found out that you actually can grow new brain cells. There's actually neurogenesis is something that actually happens within the brain. New cells grow and, and we have, we can influence that. Right. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I mean, that's actually really new information in the scientific community and usually it takes even longer for that to become just general awareness right like the scientific community barely found that out in 1998 and now we're trying to make sense of it and and i don't think that that's necessarily the message i think there's still a lot of people that hold on to that idea that well once you damage your brain it's damaged forever yeah and there's there's actually evidence that that's not true and there's lots of things that we can do that support brain growth and development so what like just a quick list of like develop and get your brain healthier how about i'm not putting you on the spot but like what's a quick like list that you would say sure this could help Yeah, no i i I, there are things i think that you can do every day so part of it is nutrition and adding um our brain is made of fat and sugar so we need to have fat in our, our diet in order to support our brain and to be able to help our brain um, function optimally, right? In order for it to grow, it has to have the building blocks that it needs. Um, and it specifically needs medium-chain triglycerides are a specific type of fat that our brain is able to use very readily. It doesn't have to do a lot of extra work in order to be able to get those so, or to be able to use those. So um, coconut oil is a good source of that. Different fats, avocados. Um, I use what's called MCT oil, and it's just kind of extracted coconut oil, but you can find it in most health food stores and just add it to anything. Um, I, I have that daily to kind of support my brain's growth and, and functioning. Um, so that's one thing that I would say, nutrition. Um, meditation helps. That's another thing, and your meditation can look like anything. You know, it could be moving meditation, it could be sitting meditation, right. walking meditation, whatever it is that fits for you. Um, exercise, so exercise actually increases um, brain growth and development. Some form of exercise, something, some kind of joyful movement that you enjoy and you are willing to do more than once, and challenging your brain. So doing things like 
you know, lots of people will do puzzles, word puzzles, word games, and reducing stress because our brain, again, our can't rest and repair if it's in fight or flight. So in order to be able to to grow, it has to have that relaxed state. Something that encapsulates a lot of those, you know, yoga can be something that helps to increase relaxation. Mm-hmm. It's a physical movement that can help brain growth. To me, that it's a simple way to kind of encompass a lot of things all at once that are good for my brain. And so that's why... I keep that as one of my practices, but I think that there's all sorts of things for people that might encompass that. It might look different for everybody. Amazing. <laughs> well, I knew that this conversation was going to be um, very intriguing, and um, I uh, I know that I can probably keep on asking you questions, but um, maybe we can leave it for uh, the second therapy session. <laughs> Of course. Yeah, of course. Maybe we'll be able to do one in person next time. Yes. Yeah. So uh, let me know whenever you um, are planning on coming in so we can uh, sit down. And um, I've been reading this book by Deepak. It's called um, Metahuman. Um, yeah. Which is just like bl- is blowing my mind right now. It's literally making me question um everything <laughs> um so <clears throat> it's yeah. a really amazing book and um i'm also just kind of trying to be i don't know if it's just age or whatever but um just trying to gear towards like having uh, a better mindset you know and and, and how do mm. we are more relaxed and how can we be more positive and so Thank you for helping me out on this one because um, I thought that I was going to like, course. I needed to talk to politicians and, you know, and just be part of that whole mix, you know, of just another, you know, outlet to uh, listen to somebody else, you know, rant about politics. So um, this right. is kind of playing along. Right. With exactly... I think in all of that, it's important to be able to find spaces to take care of ourselves. You yeah. know, like there's a lot of stressors and it's easy to get caught up in that, in that, in staying in that state of, of stress. Um, but finding ways to take care of ourselves and, and even reading, you know, like you're saying, you're reading a book that's just blowing your mind and that's actually helping your brain to grow and to build new pathways and to, to recover faster. You know, and that's, those are kind of, that's the beauty of, of learning more about how our brain actually works. So you are in California. So how can people, um, you know, you provide services in California, not in Iowa. So my website is, it's, it's a yoga site, drsleepaflores.com. Um, I definitely provide online consultations. I've done lots of like Skype or Zoom meetings for people that, um, you know, just kind of want to get more information and figure out what they can do next. Um, I'm definitely always happy to support people in that way. Um, I'm not, I'm not licensed to practice therapy in Iowa, so (laughs) I don't do therapy. Um, and, and the internet is kind of a strange place for navigating therapy at this point right now anyway uh-huh. um but definitely i can do consultations and kind of help to support people um in that way so i'm always happy to to be a resource dr celisa flores dot yolasite.com yes celisa flor dr celisa flores yes thank you very much i really appreciate it and i look forward to sitting down with you face to face I do, too. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye. All right. Yeah, that was definitely an interesting conversation. It was interesting. And I think that we all are going through. No, for real, though. We all go through our moments of stress at any given time, any given day. And I think it's important that we look inside inside of what <laughs> no that i think that is it's important that we focus on ourselves too right you know instead of just 
taking care of others. You got to take care of yourself first and th before you can help others. And um, maybe you should try that breathing thing. So I do. I, I do the breathing thing. All the so time. It's when you when you inhale, you 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 put your belly out, and then when you exhale, do the breathing thing. you're supposed to put your belly in. You should and both do that three times. Put my belly in and then talk like Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. Uh, but um, anyways, episode twenty-two, Doctor Salisa Flores. Um, her website is Doctor Salisa Flores. Dot Yolasite. Dot com. If you go to her website, I love what it says. It says bridging ancient practice with evidence-based approaches to support sustained mental wellness. Mm. I like the Asian part. Ancient. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Bridging. I thought, she, I thought bridging, she was like straight pandering to me. Yeah. Pr bridging ancient practice with evidence-based approaches to support sustained mental wellness and personal growth. Yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah. Because, you know, like... uh uh, kind of like in the Karate Kid, you mm -hmm. know, and uh, like when life get difficult, go back basic, mm -hmm. breathe. Yeah, and then I was like, oh shit. Then you realize, like, oh damn, that's like we're forgetting. Yeah, you're forgetting basics. like basic. Like yeah, you're not breathing, which mm -hmm. is a very you know like basic thing of life. Yeah. Breathing. Yeah. So, um, you'll find her number there, but she does do um consultation so 949-449-3764 i want to thank her for taking the time giving us some knowledge and i think i'm gonna have her back again at some point so thank you again to everybody for listening and we'll talk to you soon